It's Monday the 20th of May 2019. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by journalist, architecture expert and food critic Shruti Basapa and live from Eilstadir by Ruv's East Iceland correspondent Runa Snaid Reynison. Hello to you both. Hi. Hi. Now, the hype of the Eurovision Song Contest is over for another year. Well, perhaps at least for six months anyway. And Iceland finished 10th, stirring up controversy until the very end of the show. There were two bus crashes last week and a major rescue operation coordinated from the Civic Defence Control Room in Reykjavik. Then there's the third energy package, which is still causing convulsions in Parliament and the wider society as well. In environmental news, it was revealed that North and Northeast Iceland manages to compost about 80% of its organic waste. And there's also talk of community pigs. Hopefully we'll hear something about that. Uh, the cost and design of the new National Language Centre in Reykjavik is still under debate, despite the foundations being dug years ago and now resembling the beginnings of a wetland nature reserve. And finally, it's been revealed that NASA will test drive its new Mars rovers here in Iceland this summer and Reykjavik University students will enjoy hands-on involvement. So, where should we begin? Eurovision, I guess. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. Yes, that's what everybody's thinking about and talking about. It is, yes. and that in itself is interesting to any viewers that are not... Uh, sorry, listeners who are not from Iceland. The hype in this country is, is, is more than most places. Scandinavia as well. But uh, it really makes a huge difference here, doesn't it? Yeah, people, they gather around uh, the television sets uh, and uh, watch it together. They make, like, uh, family events out of it. So it's, uh, yeah, me and myself, I went to Neskopstadr to watch it with uh, my, uh, my, my wife's parents. So, uh, yeah, we had, had a great evening and uh, meeting uh, about it. I think it's really interesting because Eurovision is a borrowed tradition for me. Um, my husband, he's Icelandic, so when we were dating, that was the first Eurovision party I went to in Barcelona and not even here. So I think that is how much Eurovision is a part of like Iceland's cultural sort of fetishism that, you know, you, it is such a communal thing. You get together and like he said, we always get together at my sister-in-law's place, watch it on a big screen and my daughter just associates it with eating lots of candy. Yeah, second Christmas really. Yeah. <laughs> What does the um, what, what what where's the cultural element in it for you? Do you think because Iceland only took part since the eighties and it's it's clearly become part of the national calendar every year. Why do you think that is? I think it's one of those things. Um, in my experience, I just look at it as people get together a few times a year in a big way like this. It's always Eurovision. Then there's the Easter luncheon. Then there's the Christmas thing. So it's always seems to be sort of like this big occasion for people to get together. But I have a sneaky suspicion that it's also, I think it's a chance for us to shine, you know, the small country, we're like so big and we're always going to win it. It's like such a showcase for all our confidence. But I also think it's a really clever marketing thing. It's like all the companies, you know, can like, it's it's such a commercialized, hyper, I don't know, everything seems to center around the things that you do with Eurovision. The contest is one thing. I don't know many Icelanders that do actually physically go and take part in these things. I know a few, but it's not to the scale of the enthusiasm that's here, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, but yeah, it's all the eating around it. It's the whole communal thing for me. I think it's like, it's, it's a fun thing. And I think it also always puts up Iceland's like confidence that yes, we're going to win this. You know, We're going to beat all the big guys and we're going to win this. Yeah, it, it's yeah. For me and the and the kids, it's a way of just 
getting to know Europe. You know, I mm. watch it with my kids and, I, and they hear all these names of these countries they've never heard before. Uh, like my favorite song this year was from San Marino. <laughs> it, it, didn't, uh, it wasn't a big success in the competition, but this singing dentist, Sherat, he just uh, charmed me somehow. I don't know, this uh, white-dressed uh, uh, grandpa singing like Leonard Cohen. It was just, am- uh, just amazing. I just wanted to know more about San Marino. Yeah. <laughs> I actually agree with you. He, was, I, um, he was remarkable. Yeah, I think this year's Eurovision, having seen uh, a few in the past, I think this was really diverse. I think this was probably the best Eurovision I've seen. Um, so many people of color, um, uh, body positivity. It was excellent. It was such a great teaching moment for kids, like you pointed out. Um, that you know, uh, it, it gave you an opportunity to wear these countries, but also you know, like France's entry, for instance, uh, you know, to see this ballerina on stage and to have the deaf performer as well. So I think it, it opened up a lot of conversations which otherwise don't easily come by in Icelandic society, I'd imagine. And that's a really good point, and that diversity is one thing that was also reflected in the music itself. And yes. maybe that's a good segue into Hatari and Iceland's entry. Um, Definitely the most controversial act this year, and that carried on to the very end of the show, didn't it, Runar? Yeah, it did. Um, um, uh, looking at it just uh, ma- makes you wonder, uh, even suspicious, uh, lights up these um, not-so-good uh, thoughts in my mind. Like when I was watching the scene, I was constantly thinking, are the Israeli- Israelis somehow trying to destroy our performance? Because uh, I, th- I thought there was something wrong with the uh, the camera work uh, during the the performance. Uh, strange cutting away in the p- performance, not just uh, in the end of the performance, but also like every time uh, they were doing something, there was a cutaway to another angle. It was very strange to me, and uh, especially because uh, uh, Matthias' face. Uh, plays a big part uh, in the performance and uh, his staring out after yelling his lines was a big part of the performance, I think. But uh, it was not shown in the broadcast in the finals, so I think the camera work was better in the semifinals. And this is an example of, uh, uh, of course, competitive thinking, but uh, also uh, suspicion. And... and could you briefly describe why they were um, controversial to start with? What was the... I, I, I mean, I, I think it's their whole act. I mean, I think within the Icelandic context, this isn't really left field. You know, you have a bunch of people, like one of them is a carpenter, you know, to, you know, dressing up however we want to. It's not a... It's not really left field for me, having lived in Iceland. But I would imagine it's all their controversy about Palestine, for instance, and they have not shied away from talking about it. Um, I'm no expert on the subject and will not, you know, comment about that. But um, I think just the confidence to go up there on an international platform and kind of say it. And they have been forthcoming about their reasoning for not boycotting and participating. And I think it was... You know, they stuck by the competition rules and didn't sort of bring out their Palestinian fags in the middle of the performance, which I think most people were probably expecting it to. Um, Mm -hmm. They sort of did save it until the very end, which I don't know, some people would call that a cop out. But I mean, even the groups in Palestine have uh, pro-Palestinian groups have called it a fig leaf gesture. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think just as 
performers and in terms of creativity and you know you need a platform this is such a big platform in that sense and it points goes back to what Runa was saying this is such a big european platform um so i think at least if whether you're pro palestine or against it at least it opens up the larger debate and i think iceland mm-hmm. and hatari did that yeah, really they definitely shown a focus on that if nothing else it makes people want to like learn more about it even if it's for a few days after eurovision so i think that's a win Yes, Hattari has stated that uh, the flag in the end uh, was not the bomb, as they yeah. called it. The song itself was the bomb and the message was hatred will win. And I yeah. think that has proven true in the conflict between Israel and Palestine. Uh, wrongdoing creates hate. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that has been a problem in the communication between Israel and Palestine. And uh, we can't uh, ignore the facts like uh, the Palestinians have not been allowed to create a sovereign state. Mm-hmm. They just haven't been allowed to do that. And there are Palestinian refugees in other countries that have not been allowed to return home, as you understand it. So mm-hmm. there is uh, there are things to to mend uh, there. And um, I think that Hattari has uh, uh, put the attention on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a p- national political level... Um, There are parts of Europe where Israel is very strongly supported and where its right to defend itself and to exist is is strongly defended. Most of Europe, I think, sees both sides of the argument and it's a bit 50-50. Iceland is very strongly pro-Palestinian and very anti-Israel generally, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Where where does that difference come from? Why is Iceland so strongly on that side? This baffles me too because I... I, I It's not something that, you know, it's not like we're learning about this and the kids are learning about this in the school. And you don't really necessarily see this in the news debates otherwise as well. But I do sense the feeling that, you know, Icelanders are very, very pro-Palestine. Um, I don't know, maybe Runa will be able to sort of shine uh, light I'm on that better. I'm not able to explain it, but maybe it has something to do with uh, religion. We are, uh, Very few people in Iceland have a strong re- re- religion. And so you think in in strongly Christian people tend to support Israel? Is that uh, what you're saying? Well, I I I don't have an explanation for it. Uh, I think th- I think that has something to do with it. Mm. I yeah. wonder if it's the underdog thing. I think Iceland always bets on the underdog. I I, I think it, it it I I think regardless of the geopolitical and the religious conflicts in Israel and Palestine, I think everybody can agree that this does seem like. Uh, you can get behind it, you know, um, the idea of big Israel sort of like picking on these people and taking away their land and their life. Um, I think that's something we can get behind. And I think by and large, whether this is the refugee crisis or otherwise, I think we can always see like Iceland sort of like standing by the underdog. So for me, it seems to transcend. Um, mm. it, I think it's more than a religious thing. Mm. Yeah, maybe a mix of the both. I mean, yeah. it yeah. kind of relates to when Iceland was the first country to recognize the the, uh, the Baltic states, for yeah. example. Okay, um, I know not everybody was watching Eurovision. It's probably time that we move on to a different topic. Uh, where should we go next? Well, I was. Uh, I'm very interested in, in climate change. Mm. It's um, uh, a big issue here uh, in Iceland, of course, and in the East Iceland. Um, we have felt the influence of climate change here in East Iceland and especially in the southeast because uh, part of the winter downfall here is no longer snow but rain and that means more floods and in September 2017 there were big floods due to rain and there was costly damage to roads and bridges Mm -hmm. and the Icelandic 
Road Institute, Vegagerðin, has said that because of climate change, floods that should be expected once every 100 years can now be expected within 10-year interval. Mm-hmm. So it's a serious thing, and they have to, when they're building bridges, they have to be stronger, and roads have to be better. And also the, the glaciers are melting away, uh, Vatnajökull, uh, and uh, the place under Vatnajökull is uh, Hornafjörður, mm-hmm. and there uh, in Hornafjörður the land is actually rising because of the, the glacier is melting away. Mm-hmm. The glaciers are heavy and they burden the land, but when they melt away, the land rises out of the sea. And that could cause problems. Uh, it has become harder for boats to sail into Hornafjörður. That's also already be- having a noticeable effect, is it? Yes, they're, measur- they're measuring it. And uh, well, the boats are having a hard time sailing into Hornafjörður, but, but that's also because of uh, sand waves, like these uh, underwater dunes that are traveling along the shore. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, climate change is a big issue here, and we are all wondering uh, about how to uh, like cut emissions of greenhouse gases to avoid climate change. I re- recently visited an organic farm here. It's called Vatlanes, where they make organic barley and vegetables. And that's home yeah. to Mother Earth, yes. isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like organic food production is said to be a way of battling climate change. Uh, and they, uh, the farmers in Vatlanes, they told me that <coughs> the problem was getting enough organic fertilizer. <coughs> so they have these big piles of kitchen leftovers and manure and stuff like that, but they need more. And uh, what interested me was that they were saying that uh, they could not use fertilizer that was made from kitchen waste that is collected from homes in East Iceland because there was too much plastic in the waste, mm-hmm. in the organic waste. So people are putting plastic bags in the bins for the organic waste and and that spoils the fertilizer they are trying to make from it. So it's called malta mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's basically made out of w- wooden splinters, horse manure and then all the kitchen waste. But they're hoping that people would stop putting plastic bags into the brown organic waste bins like I guess you can understand it can't you people have always put plastic their rubbish into plastic bags and why would they Mm -hmm. stop now unless someone points out and now hopefully as you say we have this bag made made out from uh, corn or maize Mm. that you're supposed to use for this purpose Mm. so it's uh, I I think it's interesting because um environment it's always such a big debate in Iceland um, but I was actually involved in a few studies a couple of years ago and it was interesting that we actually have like sort of like the highest per capita emission in the world so if you were to take like the big bad guys responsible for greenhouse gases like in the top 10 Iceland wouldn't make a, a you know even an entrance and an adherence but as soon as you talk about per capita like per person we are there at number six this was data from like about like three four years ago so I think um we cannot discount um, the effect of things that you can do as an individual and as a community. And I think this is where regulation can make a huge difference because, of course, I think the city um, and the municipalities have been like really forthcoming in sort of doing this, but I think we need to do more. We need to incentivize um, all of these measures that people can do, for instance, with sorting. Uh, I think the municipalities should just give up uh, the sorted um, bins, for instance, for free. And um, we should, I think, emulate what a lot of American cities, where they do get it right, I think Americans do get it right, uh, and uh, we shouldn't um, even allow landfill because overwhelmingly, over 70, 75% of all waste produced in Iceland goes to landfill. So I think, uh, I mean, Grande is literally built on landfill. So, you know, and now we just have garbage landfills. So I think we need to start incentivizing good behavior in that sense that will have a a long-term effect. For instance, this Malta thing, if people um, could be, you know, compensated 
in some way, either it's a uh, tax cut in many ways for the industries for to maybe, um, you know, sort their garbage at the source point. Mm. So it doesn't have to come to the collection center. And then you have to sort of sort through the trash, so to speak. So I think it's going in the right direction, but I think um, we can do more. The head of the company, Malta, he's saying much the same thing, that, that we should have more incentives because um, although they're managing to compost about 80% of organic waste in the north and the northeast, which is great, um, he thinks that most companies are not doing enough because it costs more. Um, and yeah, the government could probably do something about that, couldn't they? Yeah, well, it, it turns out that there's a problem uh, you have the uh, the malta the uh, the fertilizer in one place but the people who want to use it are in a different place like mm-hmm. in aquarium they have a lot of malta that is not being used mm-hmm. uh, for the right purpose it is actually being used for landfill and uh, so maybe if, if they could they need to uh, do more organic uh, farming there, uh, but um, there are also uh, other ways of like uh, disposing of things uh, uh, without transporting them, and that's what they're trying to do in, in Borgarfjord with the uh, community pigs. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I was hoping we'd come on to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I myself, I'm trying not to be a community pig. <laughs> Apparently, in some places, they are needed. And yeah, there's uh, the people in the small town of Björgarfjörður Estri. They have been, uh, they have a different take on organic waste. They have been, um, they have been burying their kitchen waste, food leftovers and such. And that is bad because that way the leftovers, they rot in the ground without oxygen. And if it rots without oxygen, it emits uh, methane, methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. So they, the people in Borgafjörður, they have decided to buy a few pigs and let them eat the organic waste. And then in the fall, when the pigs have grown, there will be like a feast when the community pig, as they call it, will be uh, put on flames and eaten. But uh, then comes a problem, then enters uh, the Icelandic Food and Veterinary Authority. Um, I made a news item about the the pig dream of Borgafjörður for the radio news, and already the next day, the institution I mentioned, it's for animal Must. and food security, it's called MUST. Yeah. It put out a bulletin saying that feeding kitchen waste to pigs and other livestock is not allowed. Apparently there are some examples of uh, serious epidemics in animals caused by pigs eating leftovers, like the food and mouth disease in the UK in 2001. Mm-hmm. So, And that was a bad one. Uh, and two examples of other epidemics I don't know their names, um, were here in Iceland that's a long time ago, that was in 1942 and 1955 uh, so I'm not sure if the dream of the community pigs in Borgafjörður will ever come true. But I think this is sort of like, you know, uh, this has been my experience here that, you know uh, we tend to be overly cautious um, and refer back to, uh, we'd rather not do them in fear of something bad is going to happen. It's the same with all of our regulations. I think a lot of this thing com- comes down to just more efficient management that's required. Iceland is a small country, and if we solve the logistical problem, it shouldn't be a problem if the uh, very fertile, rich um, Malta is being made in one part of the country. And if we can have some sort of a exchange program, I, I, I don't know, like that would 
you know, mean that you can do things in one space, but then still be able to use them in the rest of the country, for instance. So I think um, we need a reform in, in terms of thinking because the uh, regulations are really the reason. I think um, as we go into like the cost of construction, for instance, it will start coming back to that. I think the people in power need to sort of t start taking a more holistic look at uh, the measures in how we can make it possible rather than look for reasons on what would be the challenges and therefore we will not do it. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, first when I saw the, the bulletin, uh, I thought it was too much uh, that there was no chance a pig could escape a Yeah. Uh, imagine it, it was a blast though, but... Uh, but then um, Mast again believes that, you know, you cannot have an open butcher or a seafood thing next to a vegetable vendor in, in these open-air markets, like at the food halls, but we are the same people who would like the same food market experience in London or in Barcelona, for that matter. It has been done. Denmark is doing it. Norway is doing it. So if we want closer examples, closer to Scandinavia, then we have those examples. So I think, um, yeah, like escaping pigs from Bolkafjörder should really be the least of our concerns. Yeah, yeah, but uh, reading the bulletin to the end, it states that... Uh, that uh, pigs actually can uh, give other uh, animals mm. uh, disease like sheep and of course they have a lot of sheep in Borgavilla so yeah but it's um, it uh, you wonder if if uh, if they will find a way of it or if it's just game over with the mm. well, I mean the, the, the phenomenon pigs of um, mm. the phenomenon of feeding pigs on on food waste on kitchen waste is is not new uh, humans it's have been doing it for thousands for, yeah, of years it's universal mm -hmm. uh, yeah and another in interesting example of the um, regulation you're talking about was talking about opening up a, a container-free, a plastic-free shop. People come and, you know, weigh mm -hmm. out their own things and take it home, which is common in most countries, and it's illegal here at the moment. It is illegal here at the moment. So even when, for instance, like... Um uh, the supermarkets in Reykjavik try to do it, you can buy them in bulk, but then they'll have to repackage it and then put it in. I mean, seeing a coconut sold wrapped in plastic is really sad. I mean, that coconut is already wrapped in as many layers as it could be to be safe. So I think this is the thing. It comes down to, again, I think sort of broadening our own uh, view of what is and what isn't and how we need to handle things. I think reform and regulation, I think regulation reform rather would go a long way. Okay, on that note, um, we've got time, I think, for one more subject. We are running low on time already. Mm. Uh, where should we go from there, do you think? Um, the new well, uh, uh, on a similar note, uh, uh, tourism in Iceland is very important. And, uh, and I, but I think that we are standing on a threshold of a big change in tourism that uh, possibly people won't be allowed to uh, f fly as freely in airplanes in the future as now or the ticket will become very expensive if they put an environmental tax on it. So um, there's a call for a reform in tourism and uh, we're wondering here if... Um, Tourists in the future will come more by boat to Iceland. Mm. Mm. Uh, there seems to be more chance of uh, using renewable energy on boats than on airplanes. Uh, and uh, for example, here in the harbors in the east, they are considering uh, putting up uh, electrical uh, charges for ships so they can um, uh, use electricity, renewable energy, while they are in harbor. Mm -hmm. uh, today they are burning uh, fossil fuel while running their 
engines in harbour. Mm. And in, in mm. certain fjord locations, say this fjord and mm-hmm. and Isa fjord, and I guess Alkaridi as well, it, it, that smoke, that pollution can congregate between the mountains and become a nasty problem while the cruise ships are in. And if, yeah, if they, they could be connected to electricity... They are worried about it here in Seydesfjordur. And mm. uh, the residents, they demanded um, a meter to um, follow the, the pollution. So uh, they can get warnings if the pollution is, is too much. Or j- just to know what, what is happening. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the thing. I mean, if people are considering taking a cruise to be more environmentally friendly because they don't want to fly... It's worth looking at the emissions of cruise ships because they are. It is actually huge. cheaper to um, import things by boats, by via sea mm. rather than by the planes. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah. this is another thing, probably like the cost for the new language center that we've been talking about, um, that you had on the thing. Um, I mean, this is a mistaken notion that Iceland is an island and therefore everything shouldn't be really expensive to sort of bring in, but that's not the case. And talking about the environmental thing itself, like we import an alarmingly high amount of coal for said ships. So yeah, these are numbers you can find on Hakstova Islands. I was really shocked when I saw that I think we import 10% or something, something like that of our total energy thing. It comes from coal. I think, uh, yeah, I, there are some figures on that. Um, yes. We don't use any coal for electricity production. No. And I don't think any ships run on coal. No, but when they are docked, and I think when um, just industrial applications, I was just surprised to yeah. see. Some of the uh, smelting the, factories yes, use, yes, coal, use coal um, as part of the pr- manufacturing process. process. Yes, yeah. it's, it's mostly an industrial application. Yeah. But it's so easy to kind of like not realize that that does happen because we're only focused on hydroelectricity or geothermal. Like uh, power, for instance, and that uh, very high figure of CO two emissions that you mentioned before is is largely due to these very same heavy industry applications yes. as well, isn't it? Yes, mm. but they're also the ones getting a lot of the um, rebates, as it were, and the incentives from the both the energy sector. Um, I think they are uh, taxed lower, for instance, um, than agriculture, for instance. So I think maybe incentives everywhere would make a difference. Mm. Definitely, as far as tourist numbers go. Uh, and, and and it being harder or more expensive to fly in the future, what does that mean for the for the economy in Iceland? Are we going to get fewer tourists that stay longer and spend more, or will it just all be bad news? Do you think? I think things will. I think we've reached a point where you know I uh, I always used to make this joke that the cheapest thing in Iceland is the flight ticket that got you here. Uh, you know, so I think it's a good thing that that is not going to happen because it also builds up a certain expectation because that has been the case. The cheapest thing is always the ticket. And when you get here, a hot dog is going to cost you anywhere from five to ten dollars, depending on how many you have. So um, I think now it's also going to give the industry a chance to sort of step back and take a look at the pricing, at the services. And are we really offering value for the money that we are charging? So um, I think we're also going to start attracting tourists that I think that's already the trend, though. The tourists are coming in more throughout the year rather than just in the summer, just in the winter. Um, And even though they're the ones coming in closer to Europe and from within Europe are staying shorter, but they do spend a lot. But when we also have a lot of tourists from Asia, for instance, China, and they come in for a longer time and they are spending a lot more. So I think um, it's going to be interesting to see if we can sustain this. Um, 
going forward. And I don't think the environmental tax should make a difference because I think right now it's already built into the flight price when you sort of like come in. And uh, I don't think the tourists would be opposed to paying an entry fee or a, a top of, you know, a, sort of a fee on top of everything for the services that they would get because people do come to Iceland for the pristine nature, for instance. And I think um, we could do a lot more in maybe capping the number of tourists like Faroe Islands did. I don't think that would hurt Iceland at all. Runar? Yes. Um, I believe um, that uh, Iceland will maybe not apt for uh, mass tourism as much as it has before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that uh, in the future people will, uh, of course, continue to travel, but maybe not as often. And they will uh, choose their destinations uh, carefully and they will look after different experiences and i think in in that concern iceland uh, has a good possibility of uh, holding its position mm. uh, because um, let's say if you want to travel somewhere you go with your family uh, to uh, the beach to tenerife or somewhere uh, next time you want to travel with your family maybe you'll want to do something different because you know that you are not going to be traveling with your family every year so uh, that that maybe creates an opportunity for Iceland. I think it could also uh, decentralize the pressure on Reykjavik and southern Iceland and maybe it will attract it'll give a chance for us to sort of like expand tourism to the other parts of Iceland more to the west fjords mm. and for instance and the east. Well, lovely positive note there. Uh, Unfortunately, just like that, we are out of time once again. Uh, The Week in Iceland is taking a short break next week for important reasons involving a summer house, a barbecue and a hot tub. Um, But the show will return the week after that on ruv.is forward slash English, Ruv English on Facebook to the Ruv app and as a podcast on the 3rd of June. For now, it's thanks to my guests Shruti Basapa and Runa Snair Reynison, as well as to uh, Eina Sigurdsson, for running the studio. Running, I said. Yeah. <laughs> for running now. the studio. Uh, as a last hurrah to the Eurovision Song Contest, we're going to leave the show this week in the capable hands of the winner, Duncan Lawrence, and his song for the Netherlands. It's called Arcade. And if you did follow us on Ruv English during the competition, thank you for joining. Uh, hopefully we'll do that again next year. But for now, it's goodbye. Still fixing all the cracks Lost a couple of pieces when I carried it, carried it, carried it home I'm afraid of all I am My mind feels like a foreign land Silence ringing inside my head Please carry Giving us up, didn't
Give me up this roller coaster.